what you do and when you're waiting. So instead of complaining, why don't we just start praising in the middle of the stuff? Steadfast rock beneath my feet, God my rock, God my rock, God my strength, God my strength.
anxious thoughts take hold of me. I remember you're the Prince of Peace. You're my place of rest and my escape. Father, you will be my hiding And you brought us up The raging storm You made a whisper And the sea You hushed Love be our anchor Be still my soul He who has promised Has been faithful You are
Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you all. My name's Jay. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors, and uh, we are so glad that you've joined us. If you're online, thank you for, for joining us on YouTube. I'm going to begin our service uh, with a call to worship from Psalm 27. Would you stand with us as we begin our service together? I would encourage you to listen to these words and prepare your hearts for, for worship today. This is Psalm 27, verses 1 through 4, and then uh, 7 and 8. <clears throat> the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Let's pray together. O oh God, source of all that is good, we thank you for giving us a new morning full of mercy and grace. We thank you, God, that we get to gather together each week and remember how holy you are how broken we are, and how amazing your love for us is that's found in Christ our Savior. God, would you help us once again seek your presence in this place, that we would worship you and be energized to go and be your witnesses to our city and world. Lord, you are our salvation. There is none beside you. May we meditate on these things this morning as we sing and hear from your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing together.
We started learning this song last week, and I encourage you to join us this week.
Well, good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community walking with God in our city. It's great to be with you. 
Um, I love you very much. And as we say to our kids regularly, God loves you even more than I do. Um, I hope you made it successfully through the cold this morning. Every time we have a cold snap in Florida, there's always news articles on CNN and everything about falling iguanas. Um, but we don't have that problem up here, praise God. Um, I have a lot of things to talk about. And one in particular, very exciting, so just hang on to that. It's coming in a moment. Uh, number one, we want to get to know you. So please consider filling out a connection card with your prayer requests. Uh, we put a card in your bulletin, the bulletin that you should get when you walk in the door. Uh, take that card, put it in the seat pocket in front of you. We'll pick them up after the service. We, the pastoral staff, we pray for you each week. We take it very seriously. We try to drop you some notes and let you know that we've been praying for you. Allow us to love you in this way. We would really appreciate it. And, of course, that card's a great resource. Um, if you'd like to communicate with us, ask us questions about who we are, all of that, use it. Virtual card, citychurchgnv.com connection. Same card that you get when you walk in the door, so you have zero excuses. You can fill that out. You can fill out the paper one, uh, and we would encourage you to do that. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving Generously, you can give online, citychurchgmv.com slash give, or there is this brown box in the back of the sanctuary. It has envelopes, it has pens, it has everything that you need. You can use that at any point. Our community groups are the relational backbone of our church. They're groups of people that meet every week in people's homes. We study God's Word together, mainly talking about what we're preaching through on Sunday mornings and trying to apply that faithfully to the rhythms of everyday life. We are uh, eating meals together praying together, serving our city together. We, would lo we love it when everybody is in one of these groups. Uh, you can find out more about them in your bulletin. There's information on the hospitality table in the back. Flag me down after the service. They're up and running. They've been going again since uh, this kind of semester started. They're never closed. All of our groups are always open. Uh, if they get large, we just make them two groups out of one group. Okay, So we want you to show up. And you, can, you, can show up. you can show up unannounced if you want to. You can do that. Um, that's how hospitable we try to be around here. We are in the midst of, well, preparing to launch three different adult education uh, opportunities. One already started this past week, our women's Bible study through uh, the book of Hebrews. You have two options. You can do a virtual version of it at um, 8 o'clock on Monday evenings, and then you can also do an in-person version of it Tuesday mornings at 9.30, right in here, child care provided. If you didn't get in on it first week, it's not too late. Put something on your connection card. We will get in touch with you to make you um, kind of aware of the different ways that you can be involved with it. Um, flag me down after service. We want you to be a part of it if you want to do that. Two other classes that are coming up, though, uh, in February, we are doing one called Questioning Christianity. This is an opportunity for people that would call themselves Christians or not call themselves Christians to wrestle with kind of the difficult questions that we face as followers of Jesus. Um, this will be February 23rd. And it start, it's going to be in the community room, which is behind the lobby. So start thinking about, praying about whether or not you would be a part of that. Uh, that one includes a meal as well. It's very conversational. We watch uh, through a series of lectures together, ask hard questions. Um, great space if you would say, hey, I'm, I'm skeptical or I'm um, wrestling with various kinds of doubt. Again, all, everybody is welcome, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. And then on February 21st, we have uh, a brand new class we haven't done before called Physical Education, PE. Um, the significance of God's presence and ours. So we're going to be talking about uh, what, do, what do we mean when we talk about God being present with us and how does that inform the way that we think about our presence. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about how that interacts with uh, the trending towards virtual and, and uh, kind of deprioritizing physical presence. That's going to be on order here, and we'll all be uncomfortable together and um, 
Praise God. So see you there. That'll be the 21st. That's six weeks. That'll be a six-week class uh, co-taught by myself and then Mike Roop, who's one of the pastors of Creekside Community Church just up the road. So we will be tag-teaming that, and Creekside people will be coming here, and you can get to know them. It's just going to be absolutely fantastic. We are continuing to collect back in our community room lots of warm weather clothing and blankets for uh, folks that are in the downtown community that don't have homes. Our, our staff and our homeless outreach team are going through these very quickly, especially blankets. We keep running out. Um, we had another outreach or another church that we partnered with had an outreach yesterday in the park across from the old fire station. We keep running out. So if you're ever thinking to yourself, how can I serve my downtown community? Right now, blankets are great. We cannot get too many of those. Uh, you can bring them here on Sunday mornings. You can bring them here during the week when our staff is here. Um, if you have warm clothes and things like that. Shoes, we get a lot of shoes requests. So if you have shoes that you'd like to donate by, whatever the case may be, that's great as well. Here's a really exciting thing. Our denomination uh, is, in many respects, a global denomination. So not only are there uh, free churches, as we call them, that's our denomination here in the United States. There's uh, churches in our denomination that we're kind of sisters with all over the world, and a lot of them happen to be in Venezuela, actually, um, I think around 100 or so churches in that area. Um, right before the pandemic started, right before the shutdowns, Pastor Abdi was here um, on Sunday mornings, uh, Sunday morning, and, and actually preached at both of our services. Uh, he he pastors a church in Venezuela, one of the free churches there. He's also the president of the free churches in Venezuela. And he is back this morning, praise God, with his whole family. You can clap for Pastor Abdi, yeah. He's back with his family. Uh, Paola, his wife, came with him last time, but this time they also have their kids with them, which is excellent. And he's here with uh, Pastor Ugo, who lives in Jacksonville and is the director of Spanish Ministries uh, for our denomination in the Southeast. Um, the, we're doing a little bit differently. This time, we are going to briefly hear from Abdi now, but we're doing a lunch at 1 o'clock. So we're going to have a more extended time to hear from him and pray for him and hear stories about what God is doing in Venezuela. I think I told you uh, a couple of weeks ago, there's been like 12 churches planted in Venezuela during the pandemic. I mean, so if you're looking for encouraging signs of God's work uh, in the midst of a hard time, there you go. There's one. Um, so Pastor Abdi and his family are going to be here for a lunch at 1 o'clock. Um, this is the kind of thing we were hoping people would RSVP for. We've been talking about it. There's stuff on Realm. If you want to come and you didn't RSVP, there's probably space for you to come. So just find me after the service, and almost certainly you can be a part of the lunch. So just try to chat with me, or just show up, and it'll be totally fine. Um, that's at 1 o'clock. But now we are going to hear briefly uh, from Pastor Abdi because we want to give you at least a sense of what he's doing, and then we want to pray for him briefly so you can all benefit from hearing from him. So would you welcome uh, Pastor Abdi and Pastor Ugo? So, Pastor Abdi and his family have been here for almost four weeks, right? Sí, gracias a Dios es una bendición. He podido estar todo el mes. Ya esta semana regresamos a Venezuela. Yeah, so we're, we're one of the last, last stops here on the tour, and we're grateful. Can you give us a sense, especially for those who haven't met you before uh, or didn't get to hear you preach a couple years ago, can you give us a sense 
of your ministry in Venezuela, uh, what you and your family are doing there. En Venezuela hay muchas situaciones en el entorno político que complican, pero también el ministerio son oportunidades para predicar. En uh, in, in Venezuela we have a lot of hard time political, social, and but also we have a lot of opportunity to preach. Por ejemplo, en nuestra iglesia local, en pandemia, nos permitió arrancar dos nuevas pequeñas iglesias. Um, actually, in our local church uh, in, in Valencia, Venezuela, in pandemia, we, God bless us to start two new churches over there. When we have the lunch, we are going to hear more about some of the stories. You're going to give us some more detail. How can we want to pray for you right now, though? What are maybe two or three um, prayer requests that stand out to you that you would want us to pray for right now? La, el primer motivo es para que el Señor mande más obreros. Muchos pastores se han ido del país. My, my first uh, is uh, because a lot of pastors left the country. A lot of people left the country. I, we need more working in, in the churches. Y el segundo es para que el Señor ayude al ánimo de los creyentes para entender que son oportunidades para seguir predicando. Also, he wanted to ask uh, to pray uh, to the Christian in Venezuela, they can see the opportunity to preach the gospel in the hard time they are living now. Can you join me in praying for Pastor Abdi? Um, Lord, it is your kindness to us that we can host Pastor Abdi and Paula and his family this morning. Bendición que podemos tener a Advi a su familia con nosotros. I'm going to start by praising you for preserving them and helping them press on in ministry during a very difficult couple Primero of years. Primero queremos agradecerte porque los has los has mantenido, los has fortalecido en los momentos difíciles. I pray that you would give them rest so that even in their fatigue they can still continue to minister out of their rest in you. Te rogamos que tú les des la fuerza aún cuando estén fatigados, cuando estén sirviéndote a ti. I pray that you would give them joy in the Lord even um, in, the, in the darkest nights. Y te pido también que les des tu gozo aún en las noches más oscuras. Lord, would you raise up a wave of new Christians in Venezuela to minister in the churches and to fill the, some, of, some of the gaps that have been left recently Por by favor. departures? Por favor, Señor, levanta una gran ola de nuevo a uh, cristianos que quieran servirte a ti para suplir la falta de aquellos que se han ido. And we pray that there would be so many new leaders that we could continue not only to, to pastor the churches that are already there, but to start new ones. Pero también oramos que se levanten muchos líderes, no tan solo para pastorear las iglesias que están, sino para nuevos ministerios. Lord, we do pray for Pastors who are already there, who are discouraged and maybe have been sick the past year. Oramos por los pastores que están ahí, que a lo mejor están desanimados, estuvieron enfermos, están enfermos. Pray that you would heal them and restore their strength. Que tú los sanes y los restaures en sus fuerzas. 
We pray for those who are grieving significant losses that you would give them peace. Eh, oramos por aquellos que están sufriendo la pérdida de seres queridos, que tú les des paz. I pray that you would embolden followers of Jesus to preach the gospel. Y también oramos que tú le des valentía a tus seguidores para predicar el evangelio. And we pray that there would be spiritual revival in Venezuela. Y oramos que haya un gran avivamiento en Venezuela. And we pray that they would, you would use the suffering and difficult circumstances to multiply the body of Christ. Y oramos para que tú uses las dificultades y los tiempos difíciles para multiplicar. And we pray that the Church of Jesus Christ in Venezuela y que la de en Venezuela would be a light to us here in the United States and to the world. And we pray a blessing over the lunch that we'll enjoy later. That that would be mutually encouraging to Abdi and Paola and to us. Que sea un gran ánimo para Abdi, su familia y para nosotros. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can we appreciate them again? <laughs> Our scripture passage for this morning will be from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 16 and 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read 16 through 21, since it kind of all goes together, but we're just doing two verses this morning, and then we'll do the rest next week. A couple things I'll say as you look for that passage in your Bibles, which of course will be up here on the screen. Number one, um, Ugo basically started, um, in partnership with us, in Creekside Community Church, a Spanish Bible study that's been going on on Monday night. Some of you are part of it. Um, so praise God for that study. Praise God for Pastor Ugo's uh, faithfulness, and I would encourage you, if you have some time, to ask him about that and learn more about what's happening. God's doing some really fantastic things. Also, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 is robust, guys. I mean, it is one of the, the weightiest and meatiest passages in the entire Bible. So we are we are going to get into some stuff here this morning. I'm going to do my very best to illustrate and all of that, but if it starts going, you know, if, if I get going up here, just, just take that, that long restroom break that you need to reset yourself. Although I, I talked to someone last week, they were like, man, I went to the, I went to the restroom and I could hear this, there's sermon audio in there. Like, yes, it follows you. <laughs> you can't get away from it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, we're focusing on 16 and 17, but I'm going to read 16 through 21. And we're going to resume something that we stopped during the pandemic um, and haven't restarted yet, but we're starting it again this morning. If you are physically able to do so, we would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Father, give us the grace that we need right now to rightly unpack this text and apply it. And may this this passage give us a, a worshipful awe of you and that we would leave here praising you, glorifying your name. We love you so much. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, someone can run the numbers if you have the time to confirm this, but at this very moment here in the cultural West, we must, we must be talking more about our identities than at any other time in the history of this great world. We're asking and telling each other what we identify as. We're using phrases like, gender identity and identity politics and self-knowledge and so forth. We're creating virtual identities for ourselves on social media. We're creating virtual reality avatars. We're talking a whole lot about personality and behavior and gift inventories, which of course are intended to help us understand who we are. I think the Enneagram has become the most popular, you know, identity, diagnostic, but also somewhat polarizing, a little bit polarizing, so work with me here. Our views, check this, our views of the goodness and the usefulness of the Enneagram in giving us insight about our identities depends largely upon our religious and political identities. So good luck sorting that out. Corporations are noticing these identity trends and, and curating their marketing campaigns accordingly. The paint company Sherwin-Williams now has Enneagram-based color palettes. Apparently, I would really fall in love with their um, novel Lilac collection. I was thinking this week, you know who's probably really upset about all of this? It's detectives. Detectives are upset. We've, we've taken the vernacular of their trade, and we've just, we've just made it part of our, our public discourse. Sherlock Holmes would be, he'd be beside himself. But I'm concerned as well because I think that our contemporary focus on identity promises liberation and fulfillment without really delivering the goods. And it saddles us with this performative pressure that keeps us from resting in and really enjoying Jesus. And it keeps us from seeing one another the way that God sees us. Thankfully, we are finally, after an eight-week break, we are resuming our 2 Corinthians series this morning with a passage that speaks into this identity crisis in a way that I think is truly liberating and fulfilling and humanizing. Let me tell you, if you are looking for a passage with a bit of 
pop in it with a little bit of, of giddy up here. Today is your day. Th this is one of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible. Someone asks you that, that's not a follower of Jesus, give me something good. I would recommend this one right here. If you're looking for the, the light and, and fluffy stuff I noticed this week, that Reader's Digest subscriptions are on sale right now, $15 for two years. So if you want something light and airy, you can check that out. It'll help you figure out which dog breed aligns best with your zodiac sign or whatever the case may be. When we paused our 2 Corinthians series two months ago, I left you with a significant cliffhanger since we paused right after the Apostle Paul's conclusion that those who have put their hope in Christ have died with Christ and have been raised with Christ into new life. That's verses 14 and 15 that come right before our passage. That is a huge claim. Something that Paul says causes him to be controlled by the love of Christ. But then what? Then what? What are the implications of a, of a claim of that magnitude? What, what happens when you are controlled by the love of Jesus Christ? There is a lot to unpack, and so we're actually going to do half of that unpacking this week and then the other half next week. And this morning in part one, we're considering the following two reflections. When we die and are raised with Christ, in other words, when we become united with Christ, it, number one, transforms the way that we identify others, then number two, it transforms our own identity. So union with Christ, it transforms the way we identify or basically see other people, and then number two, it transforms the way we see ourselves, our own identities. And we'll start with that first reflection. Union with Christ, it transforms the way we identify, the way that we see other people. I'm assuming that most of us, if not all of us, went online this past week and rewatched every Second Corinthians passage that we have preached so far this fall. Thank you for doing that. But if you didn't have a moment to do that, here are some key reminders about this book. The Apostle Paul was a Jewish religious official who actually used to persecute followers of Jesus in the aftermath of Jesus's resurrection. In many ways, he was public enemy number one for followers of Jesus. But when he was traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus to do some more of this persecuting, he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus and himself became a Jesus follower. Paul's conversion, his miraculous conversion, was then a catalyst for an entire lifetime of apostolic missionary service in which he started a slew of churches in the Mediterranean basin. One of those churches was the church at Corinth, a metropolitan port city, which at the time was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia, which today is part of southern Greece. And after starting the church at Corinth, he then traveled elsewhere. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus, for example, although he made at least two check-in visits with the Corinthians, and he wrote them some letters. 2 Corinthians, and the, the math on this is difficult, I understand. 2 Corinthians is probably the fourth of four letters that Paul wrote formally to the Corinthian church. As we've already seen in previous chapters, and we'll continue to see throughout this letter, eventually some ministry 
rivals, really opponents, started popping up in Corinth. And they tried to undermine Paul's spiritual authority. Corinthians, are we sure that this Paul guy is really legit? I mean, he's not much to look at. He's not a very good public speaker. Paul himself admitted that. His ministry credentials are very questionable, at least in their opinion. And he sure suffers a lot. He goes to, I mean, he has encountered a lot of afflictions. Corinthians, I'm not sure about you guys, but he seems kind of weak to us as Paul got. You know, this isn't the picture you had in your mind's eye of, of an apostle of the Lord. So Paul wrote 2 Corinthians in part to engage those critiques. And therefore, the letter that he wrote has a lot to do with how we should think about strength and weakness, and ministry qualifications, and suffering, thus the strong and weak title of the series. Now let's look at the first verse of our passage this morning. This is verse 16, and we'll see how much light this context sheds on what Paul is doing here. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So Corinthians, Paul is saying, since my conversion along the road to Damascus, in which I died with Christ and was raised to new life in Christ, see again verses 14 and 15, since that time, I see the world differently than I did before. I see it differently. Christ now lives in me by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and I am hidden in Christ. Therefore, the love of Christ controls me. And as a man who is united with Christ and under the influence of the Spirit, here's what happens. I no longer regard people according to the flesh, but, and this is implied in the verse, that, but not explicitly stated, now I regard people according to to the Spirit. So before I became a Christian, I regarded people according to the flesh, but since I've become a Christian, now I regard people according to the Spirit. And this might sound kind of abstract, a little mysterious and enigmatic, but Paul is simply saying that now he sees people like God sees people. And how does God see people? A lot of people are going to be familiar with this verse. God does, he does not see people according to worldly or, or fleshly or external standards, but he sees people according to to what is in them. And God put this uh, very famously to the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So yes, of course, human beings are physical beings, but we're more than just brains on a stick. We're fundamentally spiritual people as well because we are made in God's image a characteristic shared by nothing else and all of creation. So do you see the argument that Paul is, is making here? If, if we're not controlled by the love of Christ, we will overstate the importance of what's on the outside, we'll overstate the importance of the externalities, and we will understate the value of what's on the inside. Every time. 
And then we will identify people and make judgments according to externalities. But when the Spirit lives in us and the love of Christ controls us, we will focus on the inside stuff. And, and Paul sure seems to be taking a dig here at his opponents. Can you see this? I mean, he's, he's, say, he's, he's responding to you. Listen, I too used to, to judge people like you're doing according to their outward appearances, but then I became a Christian. Ouch. In fact, you can see this in the second part of verse 16, before I became a Christian, my, my hypersensitivity to outward appearances caused me to miss and therefore reject Christ himself. He wasn't impressive in an earthly sense, and he suffered a lot, ultimately death on a cross, so I regarded him according to the flesh and totally wrote him off. And I assumed his death was justified and confirmed my opinion of him. And that is a double ouch, because now Paul is suggesting that the external criteria his opponents are using to evaluate him are the same criteria at play when people reject Jesus, who turned out, as Paul now knows, in light of his conversion, to be the Messiah, the Son of God. You know you're looking at people incorrectly when your metrics would cast Jesus himself in an unfavorable light. That's a whole sermon by itself. Church, what are we looking at? What are we looking at? Are we looking at the outside? Are we looking at the inside? Here's what will capture our attention if we're looking at the outside. Good looks, wealth, social status, athletic or musical abilities, political affiliation, whether someone is or is not wearing a mask. And not only will those things capture our attention, we'll use them to make massive judgments. Attractive appearance, physically fit, really talented musically, those people are very important and worth my time. I will buy magazines to learn more about their personal lives, and I will give their views on complicated social issues extra weight, even though that has nothing to do with why they're famous. Grungy appearance with, with socially awkward mannerisms, not very important, and I hope they don't end up in my small group at church. Correct political party, wearing a mask, wonderful person. Wrong party, not wearing a mask, despicable, or just flip those, depending on whatever your views are. I probably don't have to tell you that this is anything but a benign mentality. In fact, it is the fast track to tribalism, politically or otherwise, which is becoming so strong here in the United States that some professing followers of Jesus seem to identify more with their political or cultural allies than other followers of Jesus. And they have no problem talking about you know, people on the left as, as liberals to be owned, or, or folks on the right as conspiracy theory basement dwellers, even though all of those people are fellow image bearers of God. Regarding people according to the flesh is also the fast track to favoritism, 
impartiality and cliquishness. It's a fast track to racism. And to really stick a fork in this, because I just want this to die such a hard death, it's frankly a very self-interested way of looking at other people because you end up moving toward people who benefit you in some way and moving away from people or even demonizing those who don't. You end up consuming people for your own benefit, for your own well-being. And now to really bury, <laughs> bury this mentality completely, if, if you do this, if you regard people according to the flesh, guess what's going to happen? You're going to miss Christ. You're going to look right past him. In fact, this mindset, this, this externally oriented and focused mindset suggests that that's exactly what we're doing. That we don't really know Christ. That we're not united with him. That the love of Christ does not control us regardless of what we say we believe. But, this is what far more encouraging. When we are united with Christ and the love of Christ controls us, here's how we regard people. Here's what we see first. Those people over there, they are image bearers of the God of the universe. They have intrinsic value and worth that has nothing to do with the flesh, the external stuff. And then, we move toward them in love, regardless of their externalities. When we encounter fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we see that spiritual kinship before we see their political affiliation. And we celebrate God's work in their lives, focusing on things like the fruit of the Spirit instead of their charisma or their public speaking ability. And we're more interested in their kindness and their gentleness than who they know. And we honor people for their faithfulness, including the often unseen people and folks who have faithfully and quietly endured affliction and suffering. And when we encounter folks who aren't following Jesus, we show, if the Spirit lives in us, we end up showing a kind of unique interest in their lives that separates us from the world. An interest that does not depend on their, their vocational accomplishments or their social connectedness. We show this gospel-fueled hospitality to all people. And then we tell them about Jesus, even the people we never imagined would put their hope in Christ. And do you see how humanizing this to regard people according to the spirit, not the flesh. And do you see how this, this liberates people from the, the crushing burden of having to perform or, or to live up to certain externalities in order to be valued and cared for by other people? Do you see that? Do you see how this gives people hope in an increasingly hopeless world? Do you see how this is, I mean, a far more joyful, life-giving posture toward others than tribalism. Tribalism, as we've been seeing, is miserable. It will steal your joy. But our union with Christ doesn't just change the way we look at other people. It actually changes us. In a very real sense, it changes who we are, and that brings us 
for our second reflection in one of the most famous and encouraging verses, I think, in the entire Bible. So the second reflection is this union with Christ changes our own identities. Let's turn our attention to verse 17, but I'll go ahead and read verses 16 and 17 together. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I want to read that again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, get this, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As we talked about three weeks ago during our vision sermon in the book of Philippians chapter 2, in Christ language is union with Christ language. When we acknowledge our idolatrous pursuit of dethroning God in service of worshiping someone or something else and then repent of our sin and throw all of our hope upon Jesus. When we do that, our lives become securely hidden with Christ in God and God lives in us via the indwelling presence of the Spirit sent by the Father and the Son. If that describes you, if you've been buried with Christ and raised with Christ into new life, and therefore united with Him. You are a new creation. And how great is that? I, I mean, even if you're seeing this verse for the first time, and don't understand all the nuances, we know, we know this is real good. This is exactly what we want to hear. We sense we need a bit of, of renewal up in here and this new creation stuff sounds great. Now, honestly, I mean, when I look at this verse, when I preach this verse, I kind of just want to close in prayer. I mean, maybe get a little, little something going on on the keyboard and, and just kind of like worship our way out of here. But because we live in such a, a staunchly individualistic age, I am concerned we might miss a lot of what Paul is saying here. So let's press on. Let's keep going. When we talk about being a new creation, we are actually talking about more than just personal transformation. We're not talking about less than that, but we are talking about more than that. We are talking about participating in God's new creation order, an entire order, an order that God Promise to Israel, see for example Isaiah chapter 43, where God says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. That order, an order foreshadowed during Jesus' life and ministry. Consider how often Jesus heals and restores people. An order inaugurated in Jesus' death and resurrection. Consider the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he was Arrested, where he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. An order that God will fully consummate when Jesus returns and ushers his redeemed new covenant people into a new heaven and a new earth, variously described in the book of Revelation as a new and better Garden of Eden and a new and better Jerusalem. 
So church, you see how, you see how cosmic this is. This is a bit more robust than simply saying, you know, in Christ you have a new pair of spiritual genes, you know, woo, I mean, it, yes, that's not entirely wrong, it's just, it's just way more than that. In Christ we are set free from the old order of things, an order that, that's been marred by sin and idolatry and death, an order that is overseen and essentially exposed by the law, but ultimately uncorrectable by the law itself, an order that's simultaneously going away and already a goner, its demise guaranteed by Christ's victorious resurrection. And in Christ, we now belong to a redeemed new covenant people from every corner of the world, who are a part of God's new creation order, an order that is simultaneously here and coming. It's here now because in Christ we're already under the order of the new covenant established by the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus and sealed for us by the Holy Spirit. And yet that new order is still coming because, as you know, we're not home just yet. Boy, have we been seeing our homelessness the past couple of years, have we not? So let's put some things together here. And in doing so, we'll see how balanced, and I would say unique, Christianity is. Christianity, it assigns infinite value and worth to individuals because we're all created in the image of God. But... It also says, if you're in Christ, you're part of a people, a new covenant community starting now. And accordingly, we worship together, which is a foretaste of of the worship we'll one day enjoy together in the new heaven and earth. And we're on mission together, bringing people the good news about Jesus and the kingdom of God. We'll get into that more next week. In the nature of this new covenant, new creation community is intended to give the watching world a window into where things are going as God makes all things new. And this is why both the Lone Ranger mentality and tribalism among Christians are such a bummer and ultimately an affront to God. That's not how any of this works. I mean, God is redeeming a new creation people as a part of his new creation order, not a bunch of individuals. And I mean, we might, we might as well get comfortable now with our brothers and sisters in Christ who voted for the wrong person or, or haven't been handling the pandemic correctly or, or said that snarky thing one time. Get comfortable with them now because these are the same folks we'll be spending eternity with. And how do we start moving toward these folks? Oh, that's right. Point number one, we no longer regard them according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I could really get going on this. If you know me well, this is almost becoming sort of a hobby horse issue here, but I need to show some restraint because... We haven't talked yet about personal transformation, and that matters too. 
becoming a new creation is, is more than personal transformation, as we've just been saying, but it's not less than that either. It's not less than that either. And that means I have some really excellent news. If anyone is united with Christ, God imparts in you new life. You get new life. As he, he recreates you. And now we have a sense of just how powerful God is because we, we have some issues. You know, growing up, at least my generation, I'm kind of like the, an older millennial, you know, whatever, however they're describing it right now. But we used to make fun of people on Jerry Springer for being nuts. I mean, but we could all put together a couple of episodes for that show. I am sure. And yet, God makes all of us new. He recreates all of us. Here's what happens to the old self. This is what happens to the old self. This is Romans 6, 6 through 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him, that is Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Emphasis on the set free part. In Christ, you get to not sin. In Christ, you get to not sin. You are, you are no longer enslaved to. Instead, the Spirit of God lives in us, and in doing so empowers us, and changes us so that we can actually not sin. Will we be perfect? No. But can we experience genuine change and be set free from all kinds of sinful cycles and, and addictions and, and, and strongholds? I'm feeling kind of charismatic this morning. Yes, we can. And then God makes us new. So that's what happens to the old order. And then... God makes us new. As a longtime principal of Princeton Seminary, Charles Hodge puts it, old opinions, views, plans, desires, principles, and affections are passed away, and in their place, new views of truth, new principles, new affections, new apprehensions of the destiny of man, new feelings, and new purposes fill and govern the soul. And this is a a very helpful description because it reminds us that becoming a new creation does not mean that our personhood gets erased. We're still doctors and mechanics, but now in Christ. We're still American and Venezuelan and so forth, but now in Christ with new principles, new affections, and new purposes. I want to start with three closing reflections very briefly, and we'll go to the Lord's table together. In light of this, number one, how could we go back to the old? Why would we want to go back? The, the things that, that we get freed from, those are the things that dishonor God and, and inhibit our flourishing. Why would we want to go back? I, I'm still... I hear just too many of these sorts of like, as a Christian, how close can I get to sinning without sinning questions? I'm just, I'm hearing too much of that because the point is we get to not do that. We get to be far away from that so we can flourish and experience joy in the Lord. I've been vulnerable before about my childhood, which was um, relatively fraught, um, you know, in, 
Sixth grade in particular was sort of like the climax of the fraughtness, I would say. So if you don't know, I briefly grew up in the South and I took a Southern accent and really bad glasses that had a croaky attached to them um, and the name Forrest to Southern California in the early 90s. And it was just sort of a disaster for me culturally. And um, in sixth grade, and by that time people were calling me Chipper, but everyone knew since I was growing up there that my name was Forrest and I was a runner. And so, you know, run, Forrest, run. And you know, I get hit in the face with a tether ball. And thankfully I had the croaky in the back, so that way when the glasses fall off, they just kind of hang there around your neck. Um, and I remember thinking in sixth grade one day, because we were doing, we were doing unicycles for PE in Mrs. McGregor's PE class, and in God's providence, I was like pretty good at a unicycle, which isn't necessarily great, right? So I'm riding around on a unicycle, and I have these glasses on, and you know, my name is Forrest, and there's like five other people who are Christians in my middle school, and I remember riding on the unicycle and thinking, this is not great. And then my parents came to me one day and they said, hey, we have some really surprising news for you. We're moving to Orlando. And I was like, I was in the van. I was already in the van. I was like, yes, let's go. And I love the beach. I love being close to the beach, but I was in the van. It's like, yes, give me this opportunity to be new, <laughs> to be somebody different. So why would, you, why would you want to go back? Why would you want to go back to the old? You get to not be that. Then number two, consider the freedom that's found from having an identity that is staked in Christ and not your externalities, externalities that you constantly have to perform and prove in order to be valued and loved. And then number three, you can do this new creation thing to anybody. Anybody. You. He can take you from death into new life. I don't have to know a single thing about your story. You. And if you are here and, and you would not say that you're in Christ, I mean, my goodness. What an opportunity that you have this morning to shed the pressures of, of performing your identity and living up to what other people expect of you and then just resting in Jesus. That's our theme, that's our focus for this year. We're, we're resting in Jesus and we're bringing rest into the city. We would love to tell you more about that rest. Amen. Every week at City Church, we approach the Lord's table together, and in doing so, we're actually celebrating the new order. We're celebrating this participation that we have in God's new order as new creation people. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples, and during the meal, he took the bread, and he broke it, and as he broke it, he said, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, as he poured it, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. I'm, inaug I'm inaugurating this new order you've been hearing about, this newness right now.
And then the Apostle Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again, because we know he's returning to consummate this new order that he inaugurated in his death and resurrection. And that gives us hope, and it frees us from having to live up to certain external standards in order to feel valued and loved, et cetera, et cetera. It's really compelling, isn't it, when you think about it? If you're a follower of Jesus, we encourage you to come up and take this meal. If you're here and you wouldn't say that you are a follower of Jesus, we would encourage you to reflect on what we've just been talking about. Is this the morning that you would give your life to Christ and be united with him? I'm going to pray. After I do so, there's going to be an elder or deacon on either side of this table with a, a bowl with some wafers. When you approach them, they'll take one of the wafers and put it into your hand, and then there'll be some little cups up here too, and you can simply pivot and take a cup of juice, and then you can take communion. You can go back up here. You can go back to your seat however you want to do it. So that's how things will work. And remember that the Holy Spirit is working, and when we submit ourselves to this meal in faith, it's more than, than just remembrance. It's actually something that changes us and nourishes us spiritually. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us a really tangible visual sermon here about the new order of things that you have inaugurated and will complete. Pray that we would be freshly encouraged by it. I pray that you would give us necessary conviction by your spirit so that we might bring sin into the light, idolatry into the light, and freshly enjoy the grace of God in Christ. For those that are here that don't know you, Lord, I pray particularly for them that you would encourage them, convict their hearts, draw them to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. chosen me, your love has called my name, and I've been born again to your family, your blood flows through my veins, and I'm no
Would you stand with us? Let's keep singing together.
Amen. Um, thank you for joining us this morning. I'm Ryan, one of the pastors here. Just a couple of reminders. One, uh, the lunch this afternoon after the second service. would love for you to uh, come and join us and hear more from Pastor Abdi about the ministry in Venezuela. Uh, second, if this event is not on your calendar, make sure to put this on your calendar. February 27th is going to be our City Roots big event for the whole church, okay? You will want to be here, so please put that on your calendar. Be here if you can be. Uh, our benediction this morning comes from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Let's sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. like a So I...